0: Sensitive skin is not a skin type. It's a condition that can be experienced at any stage of our lives and can be triggered by countless internal and external factors. I've loved the Roche-Posay's Toleriane range for upwards of five years now and as the seasons begin to change, there's no better time to update your routine with skincare products that are dermatologically tested for sensitive skin and protect yourself from environmental stresses. La Roche-Posay's Tellerian skincare range is formulated with minimal ingredients to provide high tolerance for even the most sensitive skin, working to reduce irritation and hydrate the skin. Whether you experience skin sensitivities from using certain products, have skin prone to seasonal allergies or experience redness and very dry skin, give Tellerian Ultra Cream Moisturizer a go. Also available in an ultra light formula for combination and oily skin types. Plan ahead of allergy season and prepare your skin with La Roche-Posay's Tellerian range for sensitive skin. Available in Chemist Warehouse, Priceline Pharmacy and on Adore Beauty. Hello and welcome to the Glow Journal podcast conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode I'm joined by marketing expert and founder of The Blow, Phoebe Simmons. Nobody knows branding nor the intricacies of the global beauty industry quite like Phoebe Simmons. Phoebe's career in beauty began the day she marched up to her local body shop store, resume in hand, aged 14 and 9 months. While at university, Phoebe began working at Melbourne's Mecca headquarters and on graduating, moved to London for a role at Nude Skincare, a brand partially owned by Bono, which I can't even say with a straight face because it does not sound like something that would happen to anyone who isn't a character in a film, let alone a recent graduate from another continent. But when you listen to this and you understand how hard Phoebe works, I promise it'll all start to make sense. Nude was only in its infancy when Phoebe joined the team, so she played an instrumental role in cementing the brand's global presence. Around two years into Phoebe's four-year stint at Nude, The brand was acquired by LVMH and placed under the guidance of Parfum's Christian Dior, and so Phoebe's education in discipline and in brand DNA began. 2013 saw Phoebe move to Singapore for a role with Benefit Cosmetics, also beneath the LVMH umbrella, with this role eventually taking her to London and finally back to Australia. Those who know beauty know that Benefit is one of the most recognisable brands on the planet, and that is largely thanks to the brand's DNA, a concept Phoebe is genuinely an expert in. It was in October of 2017 that the idea for the blow first hit Phoebe. Having spent time in the US in her Benefit role, Phoebe had seen firsthand how many professional women were relying on blow dries to feel in her words, more polished, presentable and powerful. Acutely aware of the confidence that comes from looking great, Phoebe sought to find a similar service in Australia, one that provided a consistent service in a convenient location at a competitive price and housed within a space that inspired. On finding nothing that fulfilled all she was looking for, Phoebe resolved to create a space of her own. The Blow opened in September 2018 and has since become the nation's premium blow dry experience and one of my very favourite places. A space I personally visit each and every time I need a hit of confidence. Today, March 25, would have seen the next evolution of the Blow come to fruition. The Blow on the Go blow dry bars inside Sephora locations in Sydney and Melbourne, with more on the horizon. Due to the situation we currently find ourselves in, that launch has been postponed and in the interest of customer and staff safety, the salon doors are temporarily closed. However, I can guarantee you that the second this is all over, I will be the first in line. In the interim, Phoebe is still inspiring courage and creativity via the Blow's Instagram page. With her community coming together to share their tips on cultivating confidence from home. Now, I don't generally add a um, like a call to action in these intros, and Phoebe has absolutely not asked me to do this. But if it is within your means, I strongly recommend purchasing a gift card to the Blow, so that you or a loved one can visit the salon at a later date when we have the luxury of safely leaving our homes again. So somewhere in the show notes, I will include a link should you wish to do so. In this conversation, Phoebe shares exactly what goes into developing a truly unique brand DNA, why creating a community that inspires beyond your own business is essential, and the non-negotiable first step every brand founder must take. You've been a part of the beauty industry since 2007-ish, but I'm going to rewind even further. What is your earliest memory of beauty?
1: Well, even before 2007, I had been working at the body shop when I was at school. The body shop. The body shop. How iconic is that? Oh, my God, what a cool job to have during school. Let me tell you, a cool job in Geelong even more so. Oh, you win. Because it was like the only place to buy anything Somewhat sophisticated. God, my stint at break looks shit in comparison. Nightmare. Um, it was it was brilliant. Brilliant. I was really drawn to that brand and Anita Roddick, the founder, at such a young age. Mm. And so I was really keen to get my foot in the door and I was one of those really precocious, annoying teenagers who had their CV at like 14 and 9 months or whatever and like went around the Bay City Plaza, which was of like course. the shopping centre in You Gihel. absolutely
0: would have done a practice job interview as well. Oh,
1: 100% practice the handshake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Very God. Good. Unbearable human. Um, so I w- had gone into beauty from there and then – it just kind of led to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. So it wasn't ever a deliberate move to be in beauty. It just kind of fell that way.
0: So, I mean, you get into beauty at 14 and nine months. (laughs) Were you like set on working in beauty before that? Was that something you loved?
1: No, I just really wanted a job. I was just really (laughs) excited about the idea. How good's money? How good's (laughs) money? And just to do something with a little bit of purpose and... I was just excited to get my hands dirty. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I was there all throughout school, and then um, for a little bit of uni as well. So, what did you think you would be when you grew up? I always wanted to be in retail, brand, marketing. Although, God, that's I, such a like. It's pretty specific. Very specific. Yeah. I was pretty at, like I was very focused on. I want to do commerce at Melbourne Uni. I want to do commerce at Melbourne Uni. I need yeah. to do these subjects to get in, and I. Did it? Yeah. Um. But it's interesting because when I was doing, so I majored in marketing and management at uni. Yeah. Like marketing, we didn't even have Facebook until second, third year uni. So what I learned at marketing. Oh my gosh, I know, and it was like you know the four Ps. It was product, price, place. What is it, guys? Product, (laughs) price, (laughs) place, promotion. Like they were. That was what we. What is it, guys? I don't know who you (laughs) are. But it wasn't like how to engage with influencers and how to create a social media community because that did not exist. So God knows what I learned but something must have rubbed off.
0: But, I mean, that's the same with me. Journalism at RMIT, did I think that I would have a podcast? No. We had to learn sound recording and I was like, when on God's (laughs) good earth am I going to need to know this? You silly, silly people. (laughs) And look at you now with your fancy setup. Oh, I know. I'm a travelling circus in every sense. (laughs) So you did get into commerce. Yeah. Went for it, got it done. Yeah. And then was it during your studies that you started working at Mecca?
1: Yeah, it was. It was second and third year. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, up until I finished and um, up until the time I moved to London. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mecca was it was a really exciting time because we were at our – it was at their 10-year anniversary that I joined – incredibly um, entrepreneurial obviously still entrepreneurial yeah but it was a time where the team was smaller I was working in the internet mail order team yeah which um, meant that in addition to packing all the orders mm. which was fun from a product perspective um, it also gave me the chance to write a little bit of copy for like the blogs and setting up products online ah. so I'd call that a first little step into marketing which gave me a good taste yeah yeah and a second step into beauty having come from the body shop completely and just being um in the same space as women like joe Hogan, marita berg and and a lot of my managers at the time was incredibly inspiring and really set the framework for um, ...the kind of leader that I wanted to be... ...and how you conduct yourself, how you build a brand. Mm. Maybe I didn't recognise it at the time... ...but it was incredibly formative.
0: Yeah, okay. God, this is... I mean, I'm fascinated already. We can just call it a day here and... Oh um, my God. Hey, we've got nowhere <laughs> else <laughs> to li- be. We literally have nowhere to be. <laughs> so you, you were at Mecca, second and third year uni. Yeah. And then you've mentioned you moved to London. Yeah. Did... Okay. So this is, this is where I have so, so many questions. So you're in (laughs) London. You start working for nude, which is a beauty brand owned by Bono's wife. Yes. Had you
1: already moved to London or did you move to London for that job? Well, kindly beyond expectation. Um, my, uh, ...a woman named Marita Burke who was head of brands and marketing. Heaven on earth. Heaven on earth. An actual guardian angel (laughs) to
0: all in beauty. Uh,
1: Precisely. Mm. And case in point, she set me up with a couple of interviews with some of the owners of the London brands that Mecca stocked. Nude had just had a huge launch at Mecca in January. I moved Mm -hmm. there in March. And, I mean, she did not have to do that. I was just this kid packing boxes in the back room. but Yeah, but she
0: clearly saw that you had it in you. She she must have. She wouldn't just be going, hey,
1: you. But this is where – and I think it's interesting because, you know, you often hear these stories about – women not supporting each other in business. Yeah. Whereas this is the complete opposite of that. And I have only had these incredibly positive experiences. So mm. it's to women like this who I truly owe my career. And so Marita set me up my first interview. I literally landed and then the next day I had an interview with nude Yeah. And that was on the Tuesday and on the Friday I had a job as their marketing assistant. Good So God. that was great. There was a huge relief because I was able to hit the ground running because everyone this was 2009 and it was Mm. right after the financial crisis so everyone Mm. was like what are you doing moving to London you're crazy like you won't be able to get a job and I was like look I'm there for the experience I'm there for the challenge and the adventure if I have to pour beers I'll pour beers um or I'll go on a contiki tour um luckily I didn't have to do yeah I just can't picture it what's a tent (laughs) (laughs) literally me You, this is a bus. This is cute. Ah, no, not for me. Not for me. <laughs> so much more fun and um, and quite a whirlwind and very, very lucky to get my foot in the door. So you've
0: mentioned Nude had just kind of launched into Mecca, but they were still a pretty young brand in the grand scheme of things at that stage. Did they launch, was it 2007?
1: Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, it was young and a really exciting time for the brand, incredibly entrepreneurial. And yeah, even though we had... Very res- well resourced founders, and by that I mean Bono, Bono. and his wife.
0: <laughs> like it's, yeah, I can't stress that enough, Bono. Bono.
1: Um, I know, God, it's crazy that Bono. When you um, first
0: told me that, I think I. Had a full body reaction.
1: <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. And um, the other two founders were Brian Meehan who had founded Fresh and Wild, which was an organic yeah. grocery store that he had sold to Woolworths. Uh, sorry, no, God, not Woolworths, Whole Foods. Yeah. Um, quite different. <laughs> um, when they moved into London, he was Irish as well. And then the third founder was Paddy McKillen who um, owned Claridge's and Claridge's yeah, Hotels. Okay. So the three of them, Irish founders, yeah. had wanted to – invest in this little brand that had a big heart and a big social conscience so it was a time where a lot of the industry was starting to talk more and more about natural yeah Um. and nude really did a great job of honing into that market and focusing mm. on probiotics and omega oils yeah Um. and obviously through ali and bono's contacts there was a lot of influential women who yeah could, um, you know stake their claim and support the brand and mm. um, through th- testimonials and media and things. So um, Nude was in – when I was there, it was Selfridges, Harvey Nichols. God. Yeah, it's Sephora the in the US, the big one in yeah. Mecca. So uh, um learned a lot about retail yeah. and trade in that time.
0: Given th- the founders were – who they were, I imagine – and of course, correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine there was a decent amount of budget. You coming in and working for this young brand, did that combination of I guess newness and resources give you a fair amount of like creative freedom?
1: Um, yes and no, I will correct you on the resources. Yeah. So it was a very small brand mm-hmm. that didn't have much money. So we we're working oh, okay. Yeah, we we're working out of a a shipping container. Jesus. Um in this cool set of apartments in East London. Um, It was, everything was, to the dollar. Okay. Um, yeah, so it was very much operated like an entrepreneurial brand. Yeah. With that in mind, that meant that we did have to be incredibly creative.
0: Yeah, I was yeah. going to
1: say it forces you to be resourceful. Yeah, and I worked really hard as a great courier on the <laughs> London tubes, like back and forth, back and forth. um into elegant. Central. Oh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> um, that was where I actually did get some good bus experience. Um, so definitely not a budget. Yeah. Not a big budget, but... Um, an entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, okay. Yeah.
0: God, that will come in handy. Well, yeah. I'm not going to jump ahead. So you've come on board while the brand is about two years old. Yeah. I'm going to litter the phrase brand DNA through this interview, yeah. which people will like come to understand in due time. Did the brand already have something of a DNA when you came on board or was part of your role sort of shaping that character? Uh, it
1: had a heart. It had a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Um, th- I would say that at the time there was more of a focus on the product than the brand. Um, but then when LVMH came in to yeah. acquire nude two years into that stint, um, so in 2011, mm-hmm. that was when I was to learn the LVMH discipline of clearly identifying a unique brand DNA and positioning in the market. Mm -hmm. So the brand that
0: you worked on after Nude obviously had like a big global presence when you came on board, but Nude being very new and very young did not. So what was it like kind of establishing that? You've mentioned that it was in all of these huge retailers, but what was it like kind of amping up brand awareness? Uh, For Nude? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, Well, the retailers did – a really great job of supporting us. And it was only so when before LVMH, marketing was very much focused around trade activations with the retailers. Right. So think sampling, in store activations, VM, yeah. point of sale, nothing particularly sexy. Yeah, well, because again, Instagram, not a thing. Not a thing. Yeah. Um, doing like some cool e commerce things, but definitely um, nothing that would blow your mind. Yeah. Um, but But it was some great media, so we had a really great communications Mm -hmm. um, agency there who supported us with a lot of great presence. But um, it wasn't until LVMH came on board that we could create some um, more experiential marketing
0: and things Mm. like that. Let's talk about LVMH coming on board because that was two years into you being there, almost a four-year stint. If research serves, nude was placed under the guidance of Parfum Chris and Dior. Yes. No biggie. No biggie. <laughs> just, Hello. just Dior. Yeah. Talk to me about that time. What was it like suddenly working for this huge multinational with all of these disciplines already in place? Incredibly exciting, mm-hmm.
1: um, and so many opportunities to learn. Yeah. Um, it was big. It was a big change. Mm -hmm. Um, So rather than operating as this small entrepreneurial brand um, that had... In a shipping container. In a shipping container that had a lot of credibility in the market but maybe not necessarily um, widespread awareness. Yeah, uh, LVMH's role or Parfum Christian Dior's role was to take nude on board and transform it into a huge natural... Brand that had presence outside of Europe, Australia and the US. So Mm -hmm. they had their sights set on China and everything that that would entail. It involved a complete product revamp. So Nude was um, the products that were created by Nude were by individual suppliers around the UK, Um, so small players. And LVMH would prefer for Mm -hmm. their uh, products to be made by their laboratories so that right. at Saint-Jean-de-Brage it's about an hour outside of Paris where a God it just rolls off the tongue Saint-Jean-de-Brage <laughs> oh my I, know, God. I know it was that bottling plant was incredible like you'd see mm-hmm. Like thousands of shador bottles just going along the line, and lots of people in fancy white coats. And I'm this 25 year old Australian is what I imagine with crazy hair. Heaven know. looks like. Oh my god! They gosh. open
0: up the gates to me. I'm a shoe in, and that's what it looks like. <laughs> oh, you would fit in right at home.
1: Pristine, elegant human. Honestly, it was. Well, if you didn't think you would imagine how I felt, it was. Um, it was. Extraordinary. So mm-hmm. we did a huge product redevelopment that came with packaging as well because they preferred making all of their packaging because of economies of st- scale. And right. then there was a huge media relaunch and what that entailed and how ah. we told the new story um, and then really identifying what the brand st- stood for. So I learned a lot around discipline, strategy, I would say from a personal and professional point of view, managing up and managing French men, um, which was a skill that came in handy for my time at my next role as well. Yeah. Um, All those kind of things were – an incredible um learning curve for me and beyond mm. my pay grade at the time <laughs> yeah. I think beyond pretty much anyone's yeah. pay grade. um talk
0: to me about managing french men what was the
1: oh <laughs> it's managing up right i think yeah. it's a really big skill that we don't really talk about we talk about managing a team but yeah. to get ahead there and to uh Make the most of any opportunity. I think you do have to be quite strategic in how you mm-hmm. respond and communicate to your bosses. Yeah. And at LVMH a lot of the bosses are Frenchmen yeah. who have all been schooled in a particular way and LVMH yeah. really looks after their own. So there's a lot of mobility. They call it mobility between the brands. So they, they right. keep everyone in that one family. Mm-hmm. Um, and they looked after me very well for is mm. um in that so you just need to know how to speak to people yeah. and Frenchmen require um they it's firmness yeah um it is clarity it's not waffling on i'm laughing because i went on exchange to france so oh. i know <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's quite confronting. 16 years
0: old i'm like why is everyone like
1: this why is everyone like this and mm. like the fist the 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 mm. kind of pump. The one thing on you're not allowed to do on a podcast. But Yeah, if you, um, exactly. Just imagine me like bashing my fist on the
0: table, and mm. if you go back to the Paula's Choice episode, you can hear exactly what a hand on a table sounds
1: like. Perfect. Passionate so woman. You don't need it from me. <laughs> um, so all of those things always don't make any statement without backing it up with numbers. Yeah. Um, strategy first. Strategy first. Strategy first. Mm. Brand first. Brand first. Brand first. That was what was kind of drummed into me. Right.
0: You mentioned Mobility, which yeah. came into play because you moved over to Benefit, which yeah. is another LVMH brand. How did that move come about?
1: God, I'm going to sound so lucky because um, I am. Maybe um, you're also a bloody hard worker. Yes, this is, this is pretty cool. Um, so my boyfriend at the time... Um, and I were in London. He was Brit. He is British, um, but not my boyfriend. I'm like, how does past tense work for an ex? Is um, British, not my boyfriend anymore. Yeah. Um, we were in London together, and then we were keen to move to Singapore or we were keen to move to Asia for another experience okay I had done four years in London I was ready to move closer to home but I could feel a really great momentum around LVMH so I -hmm. wanted to ride that wave and he was in banking so he was fine um (laughs) still fine yeah um and so we we had our eyes set on Singapore uh, because we knew a few people there and so I said So what you do at LVMH is you let that be known, that you're keen to move to another country. Mm -hmm. And um, so I met with the head of um, one of the heads of Parfum Christian Dior who looked after what was called new brands at the time. So he was our boss. So he was nude, fresh, makeup forever and Benefit, which Mm. was relatively new or seen as a new kind of a little bit L- less of their kind of historical yeah, as opposed kind of to heritage, yeah. Exactly. Heritage. Um <laughs> thank you. So, I work in beauty. Well done. <laughs> um and so he um put me in touch with the CEO of Benefit, yeah. who is the most incredible human I have ever and will ever work for. His name mm-hmm. is Sean Andre Rougeau. He's now the CEO of Sephora America. That's high praise. He was, very just, high praise. So I met him at the um St Pancras train station when Mm -hmm. he was just before he was on his way from a meeting in London to go to Paris yeah I had a 20 minute meeting with him he set me up with the GM for benefit in Southeast Asia Uh um with the base in Singapore and a few months later I moved to Singapore in the role of expanding benefits presence across Sephora as it was rolling out its stores in Southeast Asia. So that's, so it was an account manager role and the job was just to really raise benefits presence and Mm. get all of the best opportunities um, through relationship building strategy. And the the countries at the time where Sephora was really picking up heat was India, Malaysia, obviously Singapore, Thailand and Indonesia. Mm -hmm. So a really dynamic market at the time and it involved a lot of travel and a lot of learning, cultural differences and Mm. um, a lot of relationship building there, which was great.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You've mentioned that Benefit was still considered a new brand compared to, say, your heritage brands, but they did have an existing kind of DNA, I guess. What was it like going from a brand where you were kind of there through its infancy and moving into a brand where all of those things were already in place?
1: Sure. So very different Mm -hmm. Um, because with Nude, I guess it was kind of good because when I was at Nude under Parfum Christian Dior, we were using the benefit framework. So oh, okay. we were looking to benefit on how they had established their DNA right. and then working that into how nude was going to express itself. So I was very familiar with the brand and what yeah. it stood for. Um, so then moving into benefit, it felt right. It felt natural. Um, and oh, what a nice thing. Yeah, it, mm. was, it was beautiful and familiar and my kind of place. And so... It was different, but uh, I already had an understanding of um, how I could, of what the brand stood for. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's talk about brand DNA because I sincerely believe that that is one of your many superpowers. I think you've got a few. (laughs) For those unaware, we keep saying it, what
1: is brand DNA? Brand DNA is the unique identifying forces that kind of run through the veins of the brand and what Mm -hmm. makes that brand stand out. We at LVMH, the discipline was to use the DNA to help make every decision of what you do and Mm -hmm. don't do. If you need to understand who to hire, you look to the brand DNA and they dna they benefit mm. if you want to work with a certain partner a brand partner if you want to work with a certain influencer mm. if you want to put out a media release if you want to do certain vm you look to that dna so a benefit there were six pillars of that yeah um which ...were things that no one else in the world could copy... ...because it's it's your fingerprints, it's yeah. your blood. So even though... ...and I think this is so important for beauty... ...because everyone can have a great mascara. Yes, it's, they can. Everyone can. They don't. And they they but don't. They <laughs> um, but... Really, you're buying a brand. You're buying into the purpose, the meaning of a brand and how it makes you feel Mm -hmm. and that lifestyle. And so that all comes through from how you express yourself and position. So at Benefit, the pillars were bold and girly, laughter and fun, instant Mm -hmm. beauty solutions, creative packaging and irreverent names. I'll never forget that one. Yeah, And the San Francisco scene. So when we would, Mm -hmm. when in marketing, when we'd be like, oh, should we do this activation or this activation, we would make sure that it had at least three of these elements across it at all times.
0: Yeah. God, I like the idea of it being six things because I feel like so many brands start to establish a presence now, And their thought on like who their girl is is just one thing. Like she's fun,
1: exactly. Yeah, no, which is not, and no one else can copy it. And sorry, I just remembered, I just listed five. The other one was brows, of course. Oh yeah, Yeah, obviously something that Benefit does. If people are playing along at home, Um, yeah, it's it's more than fun. It's more Mm. than saying empowerment. Yeah, and that's where something like Bold and Girly was one that I really believe that Benefit does always has and will continue to own, which is it's not about the pretty and the candy pink. It's about having an edge. It's about being able to turn heads um, and make bold, strong statements that mean something to women. Mm. And that came from their founders, Jean and Jane Ford in 1976.
0: We have talked a bit about your experience with kind of developing a brand DNA, particularly because that LVMH discipline came into play at Nude when you'd been there for a couple of years already. So how did you work to maintain Benefit's existing character?
1: Uh, It was really through being very uh, disciplined Mm -hmm. in everything that we did. You needed to have an instinct on what the DNA actually is. Yeah. um, And all campaigns have to really come to that. And, And Global would really guide your hand there because they would set budgets, yeah. guidelines that you had to hit for those specific brand elements, oh, including budget. laughter and fun. Yeah. Love a budget. Um, and then, for example, you'd never do an av- the same kind of event or activation or campaign more than twice. You'd right. always try and reinvent yourself because we're creative, we're bold and girly, mm. um, we're fun, we're not just – leaning on heritage where we're leaning on the zeitgeist and what's and what's happening now so it was all of those kind of things um that really helped guide anything that we would
0: do Mm -hmm. given that i mean you've mentioned brows are one of those i guess pillars benefit are the global leaders in brows yeah but they do have competition all brands do every business does have competition From a marketing perspective, having a reputation like that to be like the brow brand, does that come with a level of pressure?
1: Absolutely. And there was a huge amount of pressure. We launched the new brow category for Benefit in 2016 and we had been working on it. Well, the local teams had been working on it for two years Mm. and the global team had been working on it for like, eight years or something (laughs) there was a a really long um, build-up and a jump um, and there was a very clear expectation set by global that benefit would have a 50% dominance in browsing the market now what does that mean that means 50% market share That means five of the top 10 brow products in every retailer needed to be benefit products. That meant having 50% share of voice in print media, on YouTube, on Instagram and Google search. Yeah,
0: so all of that starts to come into play while you're at benefit. Yeah.
1: It was disciplined and we were there to win. 50%. Yeah. Yeah, it was difficult, particularly when we were starting. Some countries were starting at a really low base. Australia which was obviously the country I worked for. Mm. Oh, yeah, because I had moved back. At the yeah, stage, yeah. Yeah, so I moved back to Australia after 18 months in Singapore yeah. to be the marketing director of Benefit Australia in 2015. Mm-hmm. And Australia already had a really strong presence in brows through their brow waxing services. Yes. So the Benefit Brow Wax and Brow Wax and Tint are the number one and two beauty skews at Maya. God, um, okay. Yeah, we do. It, like, doesn't surprise me but it's still a, okay. It's, it's pretty huge. It's a huge. big thing, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so there was already a really strong presence there mm-hmm. um, and then the goal was to take that credibility and integrate products into that mm. conversation and piece. You've just mentioned that you
0: were back in Australia by then so that role did take you, I mean, LVMH took you from London, Singapore back to Australia. I ask this of everyone that's worked overseas or you know works for a brand that has like a global presence because the answer has been different every single time having worked across a few different regions what did you find to be the big differences between the way each place approached business and beauty huge i mean yeah.
1: i mean you're taking into account not only cultural differences and different ways of communicating you're taking into account Cultural differences in terms of product preference. Yeah. So, for example, um, Roller Lash Mascara is a much more high performing mascara than Bagel Bang or their mm-hmm. real mascara in Asia because Asian lashes tend to be quite short and need a hook and a curl. Tints, um, so Benny Tint, Cha Cha Tint, Posey Tint yeah. were huge in India and represented 30% of our really? product mix because tints were huge there that's like great for the skin blending really well Mm -hmm. whereas they had less need for cover-up or mascara because they may already have naturally long lashes so all of those kind of things was was interesting and then I think as well it it differs for me in how well the brand was already established in each market. Of course, in my experience. So, in Southeast Asia, it was always all about ramping up expansion, awareness, mm-hmm. awareness, and starting from quite a low base. Whereas in Australia, Benefit had been there for fifteen years by the time that right. I got on board. Um, and then, isn't it funny? A
0: brand can be fifteen years old and still be in the new
1: brands I category. Know. Well, forty years as well. Like, oh Benefit, my god, when Benefit was in the new brands, it would have been with. It would have been with LVMH for 20 years by then. Jeez. <laughs> but that's versus, you know, Louis Vuitton, which is, yeah. I don't know, 200 years old or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and then I think the other interesting thing is around just the merchants. Yeah, okay. So retailers in the UK, I believe, are some of the best in the world mm-hmm. and are incredibly sharp. I mean, you've yeah. got that boot school where they are on you yeah. with the numbers. Department stores obviously really huge there. Sephora, are incredibly collaborative, particularly collaborative with other LVMH brands. So I ah. had a different experience there because we're all sisters. Yeah. Um so that that all changed. And then obviously by the time I got to Australia, um at that time benefit was exclusive to Maya. Right. And so we had a different relationship there than one that I'd experienced in other markets where mm. we were across the board.
0: God, this is why I love
1: that question because again that's completely different to what
0: anyone else has said. Interesting i love a chat <laughs> so you're in australia you're working for benefit yep. it's october 2017 yeah and an idea
1: hits you yeah in shavasana which i hate saying because that is like oh my god, god. Like, isn't it so bad <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry for saying uh, it, it, it's but fine it's because true.
0: based on the situation at present we're gonna have to greet each other through little <laughs> namaste yeah bell.
1: no more elbow bumps no, no none of that um okay namaste is it. a
0: nice way nice way to do it actually. my mother said it to me this morning and yeah. i was like well, who are you and what have you become <laughs> she hates yoga <laughs>
1: Um, I
0: digress. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, the that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> bonus episode. The blow came to me. I think, look, it had already been planted. I was traveling a lot to San Francisco for work of with course. Benefit and had spent quite a bit of time in the US. And I saw that a lot of corporate professional women in the US were relying on weekly or twice weekly blow dries mm-hmm. to feel more polished, presentable and powerful. Yep. Yeah. And while I was over there I would get a blow wave. I have really rude curly, not to. absolutely just getting in with the culture. Um, and I had big meetings and I wanted to feel my best too and I mm-hmm. have really frizzy curly dry hair. So I had never done a great job of doing my own hair. Um, I just kind of got through it yeah. um, <laughs> And I felt like Me a completely with life. <laughs> just got through just and through it. yeah <laughs> That's our tattoo. That should be our tattoo. That's also a story for another day. Um, So I felt really different when I got a blow dry. I felt a lot more confident. I felt more polished. I felt like I could do anything. Mm. Um, And so when I came back to Australia, I started to look for places in Mm. Sydney, in the CBD, where I could. Get a weekly blow dry. And there really was nowhere that served up the elements that I believe that modern Australian women deserve, um, which is a consistent service in a convenient location at a competitive price with a really cool aesthetic Mm. and a meaningful place, a community place where women could feel not intimidated. They could feel like they could come be their best self and be supported and inspired. So where I was going was... A great place that did the service for a good price, and it was open at eight am. Um, it was. It's called Tarot Carts. Shout out to Tarot Carts who looked after me after me for a while in Sydney, and they would just blow dry my hair dead straight, yeah. and I could be at the office by nine. Okay, but the. I mean, it was a very kind of basic experience. Um, It was more about just delivering a product rather than a brand experience. Yeah. Um, So while it was functional, it didn't necessarily make me dream or make me feel any different. Um, So I saw that. I experienced that myself. And then I had also witnessed the trend of beauty services Mm. really coming from the States to Australia. So nails, nails brow waxing yeah. lashes and so I wondered what was next and I really believed that, that was hair mm. um so with my experience in retail expansion and all those kind of things that come with negotiating stores et cetera, et cetera and then brand and marketing mm-hmm. I thought that I was best placed to do it it's just yes. I wasn't a hairstylist so that was yeah you know a <laughs> slight
0: obstacle that all turns up yeah so that's October 2017. Yeah. If research serves me, you then resigned in Feb, held your role at benefit until July, then left Sydney, opened the blow in Melbourne in September 2018. Yes. I can't even say it with straight faces. It's just <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense. Very me. What was going on? Like, talk me through that time. How did you, like, what did you do?
1: Sure. Um, well, I think one thing that uh, is a great learning for, Anyone who wants to start their business is that that setup stage can be really lumpy because yeah. you're waiting on hearing back from a lot of people. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of background work that can be done, well, or that I could do while I was still in a full time role. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that time it was Sundays and then after yeah. work sometimes. Um, so I would spend a lot, or a significant amount of my time in the early phases on creating that brand, those unique um, DNA elements, yeah. what we we would do for marketing, um, collaborating with R and Co, who are mm-hmm. our, um, our brand that we use in our salon for hair. So all of the, anything that I could do before it came to the big operational elements, I did right. early on, so that when it came to that stressful part, I could know that that was all or all the marketing stuff had already been set up and I could focus on the Mm day-to-day
0: you've kind of already touched on this when you were going through like what you thought was missing the blow is without question the best Dry experience in the country. Thanks, John. Completely unbiased as well because that's how I met you. If I thought it was crap, I would not still be coming back <laughs> now.
1: We love having you
0: in. <laughs> well, you're stuck with me now. <laughs> so you've kind of touched on this, but what were your non-negotiables
1: when you were bringing it all together? Um, Yeah, so, I mean, the non-negotiables was obviously the brand. Yeah. Um, so I can dive into that and what that sure. DNA is, which was – you know, I just completely followed what I had been taught yeah. my whole professional career. Um, we stand for good hustle. We stand for partnership, warmth and positivity, going deeper with a commitment with our partner charity, share the dignity, yes. styles that inspire courage and creativity, all of those kind of things. Um, the non-negotiables I think as well is having a really happy team and that was quite hard in the early stages mm-hmm. because... Once again, because I'm not a hairstylist, it's difficult for me to inspire in that way.
0: Yeah, okay. I wanted to ask you about this because it seems like a decent sized hurdle to me. <laughs> like. So this is the business I am launching. I am not a hairstylist. Yeah. yeah did so that
1: Yeah, and you really learn to lean into your st- you really need to know thyself so I leaned into yeah. the strengths that I had but I had to acknowledge that I had weaknesses in some other areas mm-hmm. and I worked with an incredible hairstylist in Sydney Katrina Gallo to create our signature styles yes. and to train the team amazing um and so that gave me a lot so of that's who I have to thank for my beloved rich Rich girl girl hair all the way I know she's brilliant the girls don't even ask when I come in anymore they just know (laughs) um so yeah that was that was a really big piece and it gave me so much more confidence and Mm -hmm. that credibility kind of going forward um and then I just really lean on the team to do their magic now so good but they're like good people I come in before events because they
0: like Rev me up. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's so
1: important. I think the biggest thing for me around hair was that I think it had traditionally been quite intimidating for some women Mm. um, to step into a hair salon and know what to ask for. And if you didn't get it, you know, there's that thing about, oh, you never tell your hairdresser that you don't like something. Like, no, we can fix it. That's yeah. that's what it's all about. It's a collaborative experience and we want you to feel your best when you're in here. And so rather than creating that divide between stylist and guest, it's about a space that really lifts you up and you feel um, your best self.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, you've mentioned that you wanted it to be consistent and it so is. Like I can't imagine people would be leaving with something they didn't expect to get because it's just consistently
1: Good. I mean, that's always the goal. The, the thing is, you're dealing with humans. So, oh, yeah, humans forget. are your product. So, <laughs> such an easy thing to forget. I know. And, uh, it's not – so we definitely don't nail it every time okay. and there's lots of opportunities and room for improvement. Some people's hair is easier than others. Um, some yeah, people's hair, hair will trudge. hold easier yeah, than others. Yeah, I tell my hair to do something and it's like, okay. Yeah, it just misbehaves and that's okay. Um It's, it's going to happen but mm. it is a human service so there will be human error. Yeah. And what do you do when – someone forgets their key or someone's sick and has a full column. Yeah. You know, so there are all of those places, but there's going to be challenges in every business and that just happens to be ours.
0: Yeah. Um, While you were talking through the DNA, you mentioned good hustle as one of those things and that's for everyone that's been to the salon or has seen it on Instagram. There's a big neon sign that says good
1: hustle. Talk me through that. It was, it came through Pinterest. Mm -hmm. So um, my very good friend, Lauren Foy is an incredible interior designer and she Mm -hmm. created the look and feel for the blow. Um, She was my second call about the brand Yeah, the minute that I had the idea because I knew she was the right person for it and that's her handwriting on Good Hustle. We did a huge exploration, creative kind of dumb mood board, mood board, mood board and one thing that kept on coming out and I don't use... The word empowerment, I think, it's overused. Um, could not agree more. Yeah, and I think there's there's an edge. Mm. um that the blow has um where we don't really need to speak about that we we speak about helping you conquer your day with confidence Love it. um and good hustle comes from that it's not about that daily grind it's about mm. digging deep with grit and determination and doing things with positivity mm. um and so we thought what better way to remind ourselves of that and the the balance that every busy woman has to go through every day through yeah online.
0: I love it it puts me in a good mood every time I see it I've got it on my phone and I just go back to it it's so nice I love it so you knew how to create and then work to a brand DNA what would your advice be to anyone who is trying to develop a DNA for their own brand or their business
1: it's to start there yeah Okay. start at brand before you even touch on product Mm -hmm. um without A brand and without standing for something, you're not going to stand out. And so if you feel like any other brand could say it, don't say it. Yeah, that's such good advice. The tone of voice has to be on and the tone of voice will come from your DNA. The Mm -hmm. VM needs to look great and the VM will come from the brand DNA. Your Instagram needs to create a community that will really inspire and um bring people together and mm. feel really excited to be there. That will come from the DNA. So just constantly go back to that. Um and it will it will help guide every decision. Oh, I love that. Everything comes from there. So you you opened the
0: doors yeah. September 2018. Yeah. How did you initially
1: get people through the door? Um it was It was digging really deep into the network Mm -hmm. and the contacts and the DMs. And I was so fortunate to have so much support from a million different um, sources. And everyone really rallied and came in Mm -hmm. and came in early and brought friends in early on. And then there was also a lot of friends and family emails and going and door knocking and... Trying to work with any brands that um, had some form of platform. Going to hotels was a really big one. Like Mm -hmm. QT Hotel were incredibly supportive from day one because we're right around the corner. Recording right at this very moment. Um, So they'll always have a special place in my heart there. But it was, it was, it started slow. Well, it started as expected. And then we, the PR was activated. And so I would always recommend PR to any brand. I think that a misconception is that marketing is PR. It is not. <laughs> PR. No, oh, no, no. I no. mean, I've worked with PRs my whole life. I could not write a media release to save myself. Mm-hmm. It requires the most certain specific set of skills yeah. to understand how to navigate that world. It involves a little black book. And so mm. I leaned on Lanny Ford from Folklore Communications, who knows everyone in Melbourne, yeah. um, to help me create those connections and we had a launch party and then Urban List covered us Mm. on week four and our business doubled overnight. Good God. Thank you, Urban List. Yeah, thank you indeed.
0: Oh my God. So, I mean, you've mentioned that you did, you know, rely on PR and going through everyone. Was it a strange transition going from an established brand into what is essentially a startup?
1: Yeah, but I knew what it would entail. Um, yeah, sorry, okay. no. That I knew what establishing a brand with it would entail from a functional operational marketing brand point of view. Right. What I didn't know what it would entail was the complete mind F <laughs> and <laughs> resilience challenge and, yeah. you know, waking up at 2 a.m. and all those kind of things that comes with, you know, cash flow and all of that. Mm. That's No one can prepare you for that and it's no. really hard. Oh, cash flow. Yeah.
0: Previously, you had been marketing physical products aside from sort of the benefit, like the brow services in store. How did your strategy differ this time around now that you were offering a service rather than a product?
1: Yeah, well, it was so much harder because once again, it came back to the people and the people representing our DNA and being really great representatives of Mm. everything that we stood for. And it wasn't easy at the start because we didn't have... That established um, place in the industry. Mm-hmm. I had no credibility in the industry, and so we relied on women and and men stylists who wanted to t- who were okay with taking a risk with us. Yeah, um, that was hard, and obviously room for error. But we um, mm. we started to find our feet. We invested really heavily in training um, yeah. to make sure that everything was consistent, and then we just kind of went from there.
0: Mm, that you did. The blow doubles as an event space. I feel like there's something happening all the time, which is a lovely (laughs) thing. Was that always part of the plan or did that kind of happen organically?
1: Yeah, it's funny when I look back at the original kind of um, business plan, Mm. I talk about um, maybe doing like a book club. Mm-hmm. at the blow so i should do that but that was my only reference point for yeah, events okay so it was always some form of community activation was there but the way that i the way that it came about was very organically and there was a big groundswell after we kind of had our first second third event and then it just yeah. kind of grew into this whole other piece of um, our business or not even our business, our brand yeah. now um, because I'm paying rent anyway. Yeah. So why wouldn't I use those after hours time to bring our community together with event, events that really inspire and excite our yeah. guests?
0: On community, you've forged really strong relationships with a number of brands, Ultraviolet, Bondi Boost, Oh, there's, there's so many. Yeah. How does one go about building those kind of inter-brand relationships and how important are they?
1: For me, they've been incredibly important because I don't really have a marketing budget. Yeah. So my marketing budget is some flyers, Google, Mm -hmm. AdWords, which is very low but it's kind of all I put aside and then a bit of PR. Um, So for me, I needed to really leverage – the platforms, the resources and mm. the support of like-minded brands who are keen to work with us to be able to create noise and buzz and brand awareness yeah. and it's worked. Mm-hmm. So, th- I mean, that's easier for me than some other brands because I have a physical space. Yeah, um, And it has meant everything to the brand. I think that was the mm-hmm. thing that really put us on the map and I'm incredibly grateful f- to all of our brand partners. I mean, we worked with Bumble in... October. That was one of the 20, first. It ones. was. It was the first, and Our I girl got I know, and mm-hmm. she just wrapped it. And it was her idea, so uh, you know she really lit that fire. Mm. Um, so grateful to her, and yeah, we went from there.
0: Yeah, amazing. Now there is an exciting
1: announcement coming up. Little something,
0: something happening with Sephora, the blow on the go. Yes, you will do a much better job of doing this announcement than I will. So can you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Talk to me.
1: So the the blow was always established as a brand that would expand across Australia. Yeah, I originally had two concepts in mind. The first was boutiques in every capital city, Uh and then also working with Sephora Mm. with a dry style bar concept. God, that's an ambitious goal
0: to be sending yourself from day one. Well, why not? I mean, there's yeah, no money true. in one salon. There's yeah. just not.
1: And it's not about money, but at the end of the day, you do need you to, to, you are responsible. Rent. You yeah. have to pay rent and you have to look after 12 to 15 stylists. So yeah. um, for the brand. God, to, is it 12 to 15? Yeah. yeah it's unreal. a lot of hours. It's like 96 yeah. hours a week. Jesus. As in yeah. we're op- 96 hours that we're open. Mm. Um, we're, we're doing between 250 and 280 staffing hours a week. there's a lot of yes um, so money isn't everything but it just helps it does help and and i really believe in the brand and what it stands for and that we're serving a need Mm. and so i wanted to bring it to more women across australia um And it was going to be boutiques, and it still it still could be, but Mm -hmm. because it's expensive to do boutiques, we kind of pivoted and we thought, well, what could Sephora look like? Yeah, particularly Um, boutiques with the fit out that you have, precisely, which is important because it's such a big part. The marble, the marble, non negotiables. That was my non (laughs) (laughs) negotiable. It was like it was the marble and the good hustle sign. Yeah. Um, so working, I worked with Sephora to create a dry style um, boutique called the Blow on the Go. It mm-hmm. is two seats um, in yep. a beautiful little setup that will be in um, Sephora Melbourne Central and Sephora Pitt Street to mm-hmm. start with from the middle of May. That's oh, so exciting! Yeah.
0: My mum got super excited because I obviously like tell her all of these beauty things and she loves it. Yeah, but this one she did a full like, "Ooh, what a wonderful <laughs> right. idea!" She's oh. a very good um, sound. Board and has a wonderful, like, oh, bullshit detector. That's nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I really believe that obviously we'll be able to serve more women and dry styles can be very valuable to women who have Very much not much so, time yeah, um, and they can hold really well in the hair. Mm. Um, so we will be doing those. It's 15 minutes for short hair, 30 minutes for long hair. So, so quick and easy. You can just schedule it in like you would any other appointment, jump online or you can just walk in. Um, and we see a lot of synergy between the Sephora beauty services yeah. and makeup services for women coming in to get all of that, and then getting their hair done and vice versa. We just need to wait for um, the current situation to pass yes. and then we'll be able to pull out. now. Yes. This, this the current
0: situation. Yeah, that's a very, yeah. very diplomatic way of putting <laughs> things at present. You've talked about how much time you spent really training up The teams now with the Sephora pop-ups, knowing that you can't physically be there monitoring everything, how I mean, how does that change things as far as like you know these the staff have to keep everything consistent, given that that's one of your key sort of pillars?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really uh, big thing to keep in mind as we mm. expand it's a huge piece of what makes us stand out in the market and i need to be incredibly committed and focused to it but i have to leave at some stage Yes. i, I cannot be in there 96 hours a day you cannot and so can, across a 90, location 96
0: hours a day <laughs> yeah sorry sorry even
1: <laughs> you absolutely can't um, that's cannot my other superpower <laughs> um a week even um so I won't be able to be no. hands-on. And at some time and and I really was so thrilled that probably in the middle to late last year I was able to let go of Little Collins Street a little bit and mm-hmm. just let the managers and the team do their thing yeah and so many people would be like oh, i haven't seen you at the blow for ages or i walked past and you weren't there i'm like yeah because a i'm a glorified receptionist when i'm there <laughs> which isn't the best use of my time b i need to get out of everyone's hair the managers have got it i need yeah. to um l- give them enough rope to mm. work with a- autonomy and do their own thing and trust them and thirdly i need to be able to ...focus on growing the business in the ways that I can really lean into... ...which is brand and marketing and expansion. So I can't do that if I'm processing square payments and folding towels. No, you cannot.
0: But you've also got other stuff going on. One such stuff is the memo, which is not beauty per se... ...but I mean, it's still amazing. And it's still certainly an exercise in branding. The memo is a beautiful edit of everything... Mum and Bob, it's amazing. You. what what prompted that? Why that space? Because it hadn't been done well. agreed. <laughs> yeah. so buying presents
1: for expectant <sighs> friends. oh my gosh. it's just it's it's a really interesting space um that I hadn't been exposed to before. My business partner for the memo, Kate, came to me with the idea. Mm-hmm. She was a mum of two and she had a list that was circulated amongst all of their friends uh-huh. and she would and, – and on that list was don't buy this, buy this, make sure you get three of these, you're going to use this in hospital, don't bother with this until this date. It was Wow, well, motherhood sounds great. <laughs> 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 but there was really – there was a lot of information there because – but, but the right information okay. because the baby fear can be incredibly overwhelming yeah. if you're a new mum or you're an expectant parent and you're like, okay, so what do I need to buy? I'm being told to get this and if I don't buy this, am I a bad mum and I'm told I should only mm. buy this but what, what about this alternative because it's a bit cheaper or it's more expensive? It's just incredibly overwhelming and confusing at a time when you want to make decisions that are as simple and effortless and yeah. feel good as possible because it's a, an exciting time. Mm. So Kate came to me with the idea of creating an online retailer that held only the best baby products from the mm-hmm. best and most considered brands on the planet in one space, one stop shop, not a million options. It's mm-hmm. only the good stuff that you'll actually use and need and love. I looked at the baby sphere and I couldn't believe it. I was surprised that because when I considered the target audience that we would have for the memo, mm-hmm. which is women who are shopping on Porter, they're getting weekly blow dries they're going to pilates they expect the best from every other area of their life and yet when it comes to baby they have to resort to going to baby bunting or shopping over a ton of other online retailers that serve up one thing in particular but not everything yeah and the messaging is like mama and baba (laughs) and goo goo and bellies and bumps and cuteness which to me felt in Incredibly infantilized and didn't yeah. feel s- inspiring or strong, or who I was, or how women were being speak- spoken to um, or connected with in any other environment or mm. our industry or category. Um, so I thought that we could do better. And you have. Thank you. So you launched that October
0: of last year. Yeah, we got yeah. matching tattoos at yeah, the we launch. Yeah, <laughs> So good. How have you found working on the memo to be different to the beauty businesses you've worked on?
1: In some ways, very similar in terms of expressing a clear, unique brand and Mm -hmm. what we stand for so that was kind of the easy part but then the, the the hard part is it's online retail which is a whole other ball game um in terms of facebook advertising google advertising emails constantly staying in touch with our customer it's engaging through Promotions and conversations um, and newness, a Mm -hmm. lot of newness. So it's really going back to those trade marketing tools that I learned at Nude or at Mecca back in the day. The other challenging thing is I'm not an authority on babies because I'm a 33 year old single woman without kids. Right. And so while I don't know much about kids, I think that's quite helpful because when we were writing the copy, for example, I was like, But, Kate, what is a nipple shield for? I don't understand. Or why do I need a slow flow teat on a (laughs) bottle rather than a medium flow, rather than a fast flow? I don't understand this copy That It's like another language. It's another language. And Mm. so what I could do was approach it from a layman's term, layman's terms, which is... how all women would approach it because yeah. for the first time you're reading this language so you can't assume that anyone's oh going to know anything yeah. so we tried to be really direct and clear in our messaging as well and cut out all of the fluff and mm. fuss and just explain what it did and why you needed it
0: god that makes so much sense mm. you have been a part of the beauty industry i was going to say since 2007 but really in since the body you were shop days. 14 and nine months <laughs> In that time, or not even in that time, just over the last few years, what have been the biggest changes that you have seen within the
1: beauty industry? It's huge and it's really exciting. Mm. It's diversity. It's self-expression. Yep. It's uh, more passion for indie brands. Mm. It's less loyalty on
0: heritage
1: brands. Heritage. And it's more people and their own sense of beauty and their own expression of beauty being championed. Yeah. And... And I think that authenticity is really coming through. I think that's that big trend going forward. That we're not, when I think about the influencer landscape when I was at Benefit and the hundreds of thousands of dollars that we'd spend in that space in a year, um, the beauty influencer space has changed dramatically. It was used to be all about online tutorials and, and, um brows that were on fleek and you know remember on fleek? Yeah I do. Um, I never I never bought into it. And because it was one specific style. Whereas yeah. now it's more about speaking your truth. It's it's actually comes back to DNA. It's what yeah, the, what's okay. the DNA of the influencers and what are they standing for mm. to stand out. And that's themselves rather than um, any form of fake representation. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an exciting change that I've witnessed probably over the last even just the last 12 months Mm -hmm. and I think that's what's going to continue going forward
0: amazing well that was going to be my next question what changes do you think we can expect to see
1: but if that's the way we're heading I'm thrilled yeah I want another word for authenticity though we need a word for empowerment and authenticity but realness it's real talk it's raw it's honest it's unfiltered it's I'd like another word for that as well because Mm -hmm. I'm
0: like I want it to be authentic organic yeah (laughs) (laughs) All of Yeah.
1: Exactly. You can you're the wordsmith. (laughs) Yeah, give me give me two give me two weeks. (laughs) I (laughs) I feel like you got some
0: time. (laughs) I reckon I might have a bit. My final question, Phoebe, what is next for the blow?
1: It's gonna be all about getting through the next few weeks um, Mm -hmm. with the situation. And then it's focusing on Sephora and that expansion and being able to roll us out in all the doors that People feel like there's a need for us um, and being able to transform women on, from the inside and also the outside and make them feel their best
0: that was phoebe simmons founder of the blow which you can find on instagram at the blow australia to read my interview with phoebe you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at watts or at glow.journal. If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You have been listening to the Glow Journal podcast, and thank you for joining me.